Welcome, welcome to 561 Music. My name's Ben. And I'm Hector. How are you, Hector? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, man. So you've just finished another monumental mural, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, man. It was uh, it was uh, four, 14 feet by 14 feet, I believe. Is that the like one that? Um, with uh, Craig McGuinness? Yeah. Where, like the music-based one? Yeah, that guy. It's over at Audio Advisors on Palm Beach Lakes, and, and that guy's just so uber-talented. I mean, he just... just oozes talent that's awesome <laughs> you know yeah it was fun it was fun man it was uh i i appreciated the work and i appreciated working with you know side by side with him and stuff so it was fun it was i cool. saw a little detail of one of the things is you had a, a guitar um amp volume knob and you made it go to 11 that was oh, pretty cool yeah yeah absolutely man. <laughs> absolutely it's got to go to 11 so man. was that like a one last minute thing or did you No, that was actually we had it I, I guess he's the one who actually designed the mural and so right. Um, he had it going to 10 and I guess at some point the owner had a conversation with him and he's a Spinal Tap fan and was like, oh, it's got to go to 11. So, okay. so that was just like an addition while we were doing the mural. We just added the 11 in there. That's so, awesome. Yeah, I yeah, love it. Was, it was fun. Now, I've been learning um, get the vocal lines for a bunch of country songs because I have this gig on Sunday. So I've yeah, been, spending, been spending all week just like with a slide learning like the – vocal lines to the verses of like it's five o'clock somewhere and stuff like that <laughs> it's been a weird Wag, week wagon wheel <laughs> <laughs> Wag, oh. all right well um we have carl schmidt on with us today how's it going carl ben how are you I'm hector good. how are you good man how are you yeah. thanks so much for yeah, having me guys. oh thanks for coming man we've been seeing a little bit of each other lately haven't we, we? have we yeah have it's been awesome it's been great so um yeah, can you uh, just give us a little bit of an idea of uh, what you're sort of doing musically at the moment, where you're at with it all? Oof, right off the top, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm doing a lot of different different stuff than I used to do, right? Um, for sure. So, a lot of what I'm focusing on is is music and healing in a broader sense, you know, um, in a more specific sense, working with music and frequency and um, spirituality and where yeah. they sort of all mix together. Um, sure. I, I work for a drug and alcohol treatment center part-time doing music groups. So I bring yeah. in different topics, music ideas to clients who are currently in residential treatment. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've had me come down a couple of times. I have had you? you come down. Yeah. It's been great. Um, yeah, told, Actually, Ben, I, yeah. I will say this and I'll probably get Chris. You, you were the favorite of all of them. Oh, mm. cool. You're the favorite of all the clients. That's man. awesome. I'm really happy to have you there. So. Well, it was really fun for me to do. And, um, you know, as someone who's in recovery, it was uh, – it, it's just a great way to – because you have to – anyone who doesn't know anything about recovery, part of it, it, one of the big tenets of it is like service, you know, and and you go and you you kind of give back. And and so I was really grateful to have that opportunity, actually. It was really cool. Yeah. I told my story through my songs and oh, stuff like great. that. It was amazing. Well, yeah. you know, it's uh, – with my history and and I mean right off the top I'm in recovery myself I didn't get into recovery easily I haven't stayed in recovery easily it's been a really tremendously difficult journey for me you know yeah. um, a journey that's nearly cost me my life a few different times and um, um, I'm always struck by the fact that since I shouldn't be here that I, I'm here for a reason and so the last couple of years have really been more focused on how do I sort of bring the gift of music to people who might not otherwise be able to get out to see it, right? right. And then how do I also 
maybe make amends for my bad behavior over the years because right. certainly there was there was like a 15-year period where I went literally from, from, from treatment center to recovery house to relapse to treatment center to recovery wow. house, caught a couple tours in there. Yeah, screwed him up royally, of course. Um, played with us a little bit. Played with us, yeah. Played yeah, with you a little a, bit. Yeah, Carl, you've been in Killbillies, um, and that 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 was it's you know we've known each other musically for a long time. Long played time. together a lot. Played together yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's cool. But, um, and so you got to see one of my disappearing acts in real time. Yeah, and you even said like I saw it coming, you know. Like, yeah, and then there, but there was, was this like, one gig we were playing, and don't get me wrong, at the time I was not being a good boy either, but um. <clears throat> You know, it was a, it was kind of really around the beginning of when I, when I was sort of realizing the difference between enjoying a drink and oh, hang on, I have absolutely no control over this. But um, so you know, I was becoming aware of it at the time, and and also you know, some other people in the band had been going through it. And me moving to the U.S. had been a huge education in all of this. I don't even know if I would have ever made it into recovery had I not moved to the U.S. because for some reason, for some reason, everything just seems. Like, well, there's a lot. We live in Florida. There's a lot more awareness of it. There is, and also it just seems that's like you get always, in trouble. That's not always a here, good right? thing. That's yeah. not, yeah. And you know, that's exactly you get in trouble faster here. And and so Florida has this sort of transient culture to it that a lot of people come here um, from other states. A lot of them come here to try and get well initially. Yeah. You know what happens is they come here to treatment from another state, and then they get sort of into the system here. And, and what that looks like is is a whole lot of trips to treatment, uh, ringing up the insurance bill to, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and all in this, what's oftentimes, more often than not, a not successful attempt to yeah. get their shit together. Right. You know? And so um, along with this music and healing, you know, I'm around a lot of, a lot of suffering, a lot of death, a lot right. of anguish it's it's not yeah. an easy field to be in i get to see people at their probably their most difficult period in their life yeah you know and um but every time i go in and do one of these groups i i leave very very grateful for everything that i have you know and and very fortunate to be spared and to get to bring music to anybody <laughs> much yeah. less kids that are going through yeah. the same thing that i did but um i mean i've only done it a little bit with you but um i know that through me going and working in that, I mean, I I felt well. If I'm going to be going there and telling, is you definitely feel a responsibility to be honest oh, to yourself and to them, you know. And and you you can't you can't bring it unless you're walking it. I right. found that out the hard way. Uh, By right. the way, I found you know all my lessons in life have been the hard way. I've not learned anything uh, yeah. the easy way once. Um, but you, you know, there there was a there was a point you know before COVID happened, and COVID was just you know a disaster for us as musicians, a disaster for us in the recovery community. Yeah, has been you know I, I don't care how you doll it up, it's just been a hard two years for us. You know, I lost my recovery at the beginning of COVID. Right. My mom got seriously ill. I was working uh, a lot of hours at the treatment center, and I wasn't doing any self care. And I learned a valuable lesson about you know putting the oxygen mask on myself before I'm trying to put it on other people, you know? Yeah. And then also, also, you know, if I'm going to be in recovery and if I'm going to talk about things like, like being spiritually balanced and centered, then I better be doing the freaking work myself. And, you yeah. know, there was a time where I was just talking it, not doing it. And then it just, right. of course, came apart at the seams like it always does. But 
I've learned a lot. You know, in the, in the last three years, I've learned most of what I've learned in life. I've learned the last three years, really. Yeah. That's it was, um, I went to Austin, Texas, and um, I, was, I was at a point, and, you know, before that slip at the beginning of COVID, I put together some, some, some years in, in recovery. And um, yeah. when I got to Austin in 2017, I was, I was done. And I was looking out windows to decide which tree branch to hang myself off of. Oh, and I wow. had finally said, you know, man, like, it, it was, it, my parents, I think, told me one time they had spent $400,000 on, on my treatment, you know, yeah. and that was forget about the insurance companies on top of that. So yeah. you're looking at like a $2 million kid right here shoved full of drug treatment and none of it worked. And, um, so I got to Austin and I got a guy, a mentor, and he said, man, he goes, take your violin and he goes, find some old people that can't afford music and go play for them. And I'm like, yeah, but Jason, man, you don't understand. Like I'm covered in tattoos. I got this Mohawk. The old people don't like me, you know? Yeah. And he's like, just try it, man, you know, try it. And and I went out and I played for these old people. I might as well have been like George Strait going in there. Like yeah. they had not had live music in this place for like three right. years. You were a god They're medica- to Right, yeah. man. And yeah. I walked in. Absolutely. And it was like they didn't give a shit about the tattoos, man. They were just so grateful to have music, anything. Yeah. I mean, and, and truthfully, it could have been it could have been amateur music and they would have been happy. Yeah. They would have been happy with a karaoke night, yeah. for yeah. Christ's sake. And so – I left and I was like, you know, man, for a little bit, I didn't think about killing myself. I didn't think about going and shooting heroin. Uh, I felt kind of connected and I maybe thought like, shit, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with music. This is, you know, and when I was, my mom told me this recently, my first gig when I was a kid on the violin was playing for kids with cerebral palsy. Really? When I was 10 years old. Oh, there um, you go. So... And I'm going to get to the end of the story quickly. No, I no, promise. This is, but this is an important. Geez. This is this is this is what I want going forward to be the centerpiece of my life. Is this little initiative that we started in Austin, and and I had 30 days clean. I was just out of treatment, you know. And and everybody's just like, man, go to a meeting and shut your mouth and do you know the same thing I had done the other 20 times that didn't work, right? And so this guy Jason was like, no, you know, do that do that gig. And so I put a post up on Facebook which isn't good for much, but it's good for this. So sure. I put a, po- a post up on Facebook and I said, who wants some free music for Christmas, right? And I get this message back from this teacher in this little tiny town in Smithville, Texas. And she goes, man, I've got 10 special needs kids and, and they can't afford Christmas. And I'm like, okay, so what do they want for Christmas? You know, and in seventh grade, you know, like I wanted like remote controlled car, like, I don't know, Legend of Zelda, whatever it was at that right. time. <laughs> and these kids, one kid wants a chocolate milkshake for Christmas and his family can't afford it for him. Oh man. And like, I need a belt because I don't have a belt to wear to school, man. And I tell you, man, like I got this, I got this message and it was like, this is why you've never gotten your shit together. It's because it's always been about you. Yeah. You know, man. And, and, and so I got seven of my recovery buddies. We were like, you know, a lot of them were amateur musicians. These guys were just like little, pluckers on the weekend right and i said guys we're going to load up the treatment center van we're going to bring some special needs kids some presents and we're going to go play them some music for christmas right and so we go to the school and we did it i hadn't cried in 20 years i spent the afternoon with these kids just like it did more for me than 20 treatment centers in one afternoon you know in one afternoon and that's when i started the nonprofit. you know and and that continues to this day we can talk about that more later but yeah but you know that's what music has become about for me it's not about like we were talking about earlier it's just like the bar gigs i played one last weekend and i left and i was like this doesn't bring me a lot of joy 
Right. Yeah. You know, I got I got my I got my money, but it didn't yeah. really bring me a lot of joy. And I was sort of wall decoration. When I go play for some special needs kids, man, the love that you feel like for going and doing this kind of work is just like it's everything I always wanted music to be and never could yeah. find it. You know, that's I great. Gotta, I got to tell you, I uh, I, I haven't done it in years, but um, but uh, my my father in law since passed. But my father in law used to do. Um, he was a musician, and he used to do a lot of. Um, he put together a group. It was it was older people, and they put together a group called the Sunshine Golden Airs. And the Sunshine nice. Golden Airs, nice. I, would, I would go with them sometimes, and uh, you know, just to support and whatever. And they they were basically a, a choir group, and he would he would play the keyboard and do some piano stuff or whatever. And they would go and you know, they, if it was Christmas time, they would do Christmas caroling, and if they if it was other times, they would just do like. You know, just big band kind of songs that that older people would you know would resonate to and 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 just kind of enjoy. And um, and he would they would go to um, to these old folk facilities, basically these you know retirement homes and stuff. And like you said, you know they they don't get you know they don't get stuff like that. They don't get the live music. They're just sitting yeah. there in their room. They're watching TV. They get an occasional family member that visits or whatever, and they would just light up like it was. I mean, and some of these people that looked like. They couldn't even get out of bed. Were suddenly like standing up with their walker and like kind of dancing oh, and stuff. So and awesome. It was just amazing. So it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's I, the power of I, music. I man. can. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. See where that you know where that was a big well deal. for 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 those of us in recovery, as Ben correctly points out, you know, it's the that's ele- the the element of service is so important for all of recovery models. It doesn't matter yeah. whether it's AA, NA, CA. Refuge recovery, smart recovery, it all talks about thinking about your own bullshit less and going out and helping people more. And as a result, you don't feel like self-destructing and you feel like you're in the stream of life, right? Yeah. You know, when I go out and play for these kids, man, I I tell you, like, I I feel 1,000 times better when I leave that building than when I go in each and every time I do. Now, I'll tell you this. The six people that agreed to be a part of this nonprofit when it started, we did it for a year. And they volunteered every once a week. Yeah. All six of these musicians stayed sober. Yeah, and wow. as you know, in this business, 100% recovery rate in one year is just not, it's not, it's yeah. not a realistic thing. Yeah. Now, do I think that this is the answer for addiction? No. But, but I do know that these six people would tell you that the reason, a lot of the reason why they might have stayed sober that first year is because they were out there using their talent, having a good time doing it, and in the cool. process, healing some people, right? That's yeah. amazing. I think part of, you know, if you're a musician or, or someone who works in the service industry, you know, there is this horrible feeling that, well, what, what, how am I going to do this? Like, you know, the, the, the drug of choice is, is who I am. You know, it's like how I, how I do I, what I do. And, and there's, a, there's a big fear surrounding that. You know, I, I I've was... I definitely had worried about that, you know, just how am I going to handle being in bars and, you know, the whole kind of culture of bars and da da da. But actually, it's fine. You you can you can get past that, and you know, for me personally, it's because um, it's for a lot of reasons. But um, you know, one is I, I figure out you know how I'm getting there, how I'm leaving. You know, I'm not doing any yep. sort of hanging yep. around afterwards. And um, also, um, the other guys in the band, Hector and James. Just out of a courtesy to me, and I never asked him to do it. Don't drink. 
It's amazing. It's crazy. It's amazing. amazing. And your friends. Yeah. They're, they're your true friends. Yeah. And that's how you know you're, they're your true friends. Yeah, exactly. Because they would do something it like just, that. No. It just seemed like yeah. the right thing to do. You know, you know when I when I first uh, started playing in the band, you know, and found out he was in recovery, you know, James and I talked about it. It just seemed like the right thing to do. If he's dealing with this and we're his friend and we really are his friend, why are we going to sit there and, like, pound beers in front of him and stuff? <laughs> yeah, but just, see, now, it just now, seems see, obnoxious to none me. None of my friends that I gig with on the weekends stay sober around me. In fact, like, I mean, the last the last month and a half I've been around somebody in a K-hole that showed up to one of my oh, gigs I, and you know I've been around somebody who's just been absolutely obliterated trying play to play a set well, well here's, here's <laughs> the thing is, is is as you know it's an energetic thing on stage and, mm. and you guys are all sober so you are in communion with each other right yeah. like when there's one guy who's high on it doesn't matter what it is actually yeah. it, it's anything and you got other two guys or one other guy that's sober, the energy is just going to be completely whacked, For you know, sure, yeah. whacked, you know. Well, and, I, and I'll tell you, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I've never I've never gotten to that point where I'm just, you know, obliterated all the time or anything. But but I, I have been in plenty of bands where where I drank. I mean, you know, yeah, I, 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 I yeah, even just a few did knock off the edge, as they say, you know, before I play or whatever. Um, the truth is that that ever since I've been in Killbillies and we just don't drink when we play. Yeah. I can't. I can't honestly say that I've ever walked away from the gig. You know, like, oh, that really sucked. Or whatever. Like, yeah, you can actually had, play your instrument. It has, it has <laughs> you remember the set? Well, yeah. it had nothing to do. You don't go to bed with yeah, Bo Derek and w- wake up with Bo Diddley. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I that's the greatest line I from laugh the song ever. It's true. You know, it's yeah. true. Yeah, it's true. We've all done that. Come on now. It's an honest podcast. All right, true, <laughs> true, true, true story, and I digress. But true story. When I was in the Nirvana tribute. Um, before Justin was our Kurt Cobain, we had another guy that was our Kurt Cobain and, uh, and, and he drank a lot and we, uh, we, we, um, he, he actually, I'm pretty proud of him. We're friends on Facebook. He's moved away now. Um, but he, uh, he's actually in recovery now. Like he's, right. so I'm really proud of him and everything. But, but at the time he was drinking a lot and, uh, and we went, I don't even remember what it was like North Carolina or something. We were traveling around with this band and he got obliterated and the drummer and I were, you know, stone cold sober yeah. and, uh, and we went into the room and drummer took a shower, went to bed. I took a shower, went to bed. And of course, the room's got two beds, so somebody always ends up, you know, sleeping in the bed with either you or the other guy. Or, <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's well, I don't like where this is going. And, and I, I, I wake up. I, I, so he, he was the last one to, to take a shower or whatever. And I, I wake up. The, I wake up the next morning, and like for like a split second, you know, I'm thinking, I, like, you know, you're just kind of groggy when you wake up. For a split second, I'm thinking I'm home or whatever because I have an arm around me. And I, yeah, and I, and I, I wake up and I realize he's laying in bed with me, naked, with his arm around me. <laughs> wow! Man. And I'm like, I'm like, wow. Holy so crap, there you go. You go well, to bed. on the I, I went to bed with things, nobody and woke up with my singer. <laughs> I went up. I was playing a, I was playing a, a gig in Asheville. Maybe actually, it was after I was in recovery. And I get off, I get off stage, and this guy from another band comes up to me and he goes, "You, Carl." I'm like, uh oh. Yeah, you call from South Florida, and then I'm like, double uh oh. Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. like, do you remember the time? Like, I evidently, I, I've re- I don't remember it at all, but like, evidently, in front of 150 people, I got on this guy's roof in Fort Lauderdale, took off all my clothes, and like, just bungee jumped into the pool, you oh, know, wow. in a complete blackout, have no idea about it. And he's like, dude, you were infamous for a year and a half for that. And, and, you know, it was, it was, it was like shocking at the time. Then it became funny. Then it became like, I really pulled some dumb shit back in the day, you yeah. know, and, and I tell you, Ben, like one of the things is, is that when you get blacklisted, 
or when you've had a lot of issues, getting back in people's good graces, especially when you're a repeat offender, is incredibly difficult. Man. Yeah. And, and it's given me a really big heart for people that struggle a lot. Yeah. For sure. You know, because I... I mean, my dad said, told me very young, you know, reputation is hard won and easily lost. You know, it's like the first thing, you, it's an important thing to know, learn as a, as a growing human. And, and, and yeah, and when you feel like you have lost it, it's a horrible feeling. And oh, sometimes yeah. you have, you know, yeah. and it's, it, yeah. getting it back is very hard. It's incredibly difficult, man. It's, yeah. it's, it's challenging and, and um, it will be a, it'll be a life's work. It'll be yeah. a life's work building it back up. You For know? sure. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I got the opportunity to do it. I had a, I had a friend a week and a half ago that, that passed of an OD, a very uh. incredible guitar player, lived down here for a while, was doing well for a year and a half, made a bad decision, went out for one weekend and toast, you know? Oh, so we got to be vigilant. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So um, when you were young, like real young, um, what kind of music were your parents listening to and how did you end up getting, starting to play the violin? Like, so what was the like musical environment when you were a kid? It was, uh, well, my mom and dad are not musicians. Yeah. My mom and dad both like classical music, right? Right. So at three years old, they gave me the violin. I started when I was three on a Cracker Jack box with a ruler attached so I could learn how to hold it. And um, I started the Suzuki method. And so that's an ear training method of repetition back and forth. Yeah. Teacher plays something, you play something. It's an ear training method. And so... How did they have the foresight to send you to someone to do that? Because I was ADHD. I was such a hyperactive little shit. And so they figured we got to give them something to settle them down. Give and them something, think, something to focus on. I mean, yeah. look, dude, right. I have probably the worst ADHD of anybody I know. And if I didn't have the violin, man, I'd be toast. Right. I'm telling you, man, it's the, it's the one thing that I can sort of focus in on. The rest of life wow. is sort of a blur. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, what is it? The right brain? That, that's our artistic side. It's just yeah. like, and my left brain is like a, a P, you right. know, yeah, yeah. the rational part. Anyway, so they give me the violin at three and, and seven or eight. I'm going into New York City and starting to become like more interested in the study of the instrument, all classical at this point. And yeah. um, uh, up until I was probably 11, uh, it was strictly classical music. You know, and right. I was, you know, while, while my friends were out playing sports, I was in the practice room yeah. uh, playing yeah. Mozart. Sure. And that was kind of me, too. I did a lot of that. A lot of that, man. Yeah. And as you can you did imagine, a bit more than me there. in seventh grade, let me tell you guys and you, uh, the most uncool thing in the entire universe when you are in seventh grade is to be the kid who plays the violin. Yeah. <laughs> so that was mercilessly, mercilessly picked on. Right. Mercilessly picked on. Plus, my parents were very old-fashioned, so yeah. they would, they would shop at, like, I'm living in New Jersey, right. a very affluent suburb of New York. Right. And, um... And uh, so I start getting introduced to, to I think it was like 80s glam, glam rock was the first yeah. introduction. to Oh, no, you know, my first concert was Tears for Fears and Blondie. Oh, uh, really? That that's gives you an idea. Cool. <laughs> that's that's so awesome. <laughs> at, at 13, I played Carnegie Hall for the first time. Wow. And um, I'm, I'm starting to get recognition in the area. Um, right. And uh, so things are looking really good so for when me. you played Carnegie Hall, what kind of gig was that? Well, so... Maybe back to the recovery thing, what I pulled away from it, my family came in from all over the world. It was incredible. I mean, it was just like it's, it's, it's where you want to go as a musician. It was like – and it was happening at 13. And wow. I went across the street to raise pizza on 57th and 7th and I, I chugged down almost a six-pack of beer to get rid of the nerves, you know, and with my little friend Earl. I'll never forget him. And so we snuck off across the street and drank and, and you know, that should have been a sign of what was to come. But yeah. – um, 
I was always nervous. You know, I, I, I had sure. pretty bad stage fright. That feeling that you get where it's the one thing that you love and you want to do and you're terrified of it terrified at the same of time. I know exactly how you feel. And it's the one thing you're really good at and connected exactly. with. And, and yet, you know, so, you know, what, what happened was Dave Matthews came out right around this time, right? In, in my sophomore year of high school, he started to get a little bit big. And all of a sudden, I went from a zero to a hero because every band that was trying to sound like Dave Matthews' band wanted, wanted a violin player. Right, so I got, yeah, recruited. Yeah. I got recruited to the to the party guys in high school. And so then it sort of began my love affair with the, with the Grateful Dead and, and Fish and Widespread yeah. Panic and the improvisational right. music and a lot of psychedelics. And, well, that's it. Everything yeah. that goes along with that. It's yeah. for, in the UK, right, yeah. it's that scene – and the kind of same people. It's Osric like, Tentacles it, over there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It's Osric yeah. Tentacles, but yeah. It, it, yeah, it is Osric Tentacles. <laughs> I played with him. <laughs> really? Yes, I did. Edwin. Uh, at a rave in Austin, Texas yeah. in 2018. Yeah. He's doing a DJ. Simon. Somewhere around. Simon Posford? Yes. That guy? Simon Posford. Oh, Postford. my God. Yep. Hallucinogen guy. Yes. Yep. Is that, you played with him? <laughs> I played with him. That's unbelievable. He's one of my childhood heroes. Is he really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know who I was playing with when yeah, I played yeah. with him. I had no idea. It's like this guy, big guy from England. I'm like, shit, I don't even know who he That's is. That's really cool. If it's not so. if it's not fish or widespread panic, I probably don't know much about well, it. Well, yeah. So anyway, the jam band scene in England is much more dance music like. Yeah. Like over here, people don't go in England. They don't. We don't go and like watch a jam band play for eight hours. We go for raving. Raving. And, yeah. And and you do get that over here as well. Except that there's also this jam band scene, which is like kind of adjacent to it, but a different thing. We just don't really, apart from Aussie Tentacles, that are kind of like a bit of a unicorn in England. There's not a lot of that going on. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of deadheads that would argue with you about the rave reference, but <laughs> I, 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 I absolutely the the similarities are very similar in that whole culture and the whole uh, yeah. Tune out and drop some acid. Yeah, and, exactly. And, you know, truthfully, and, and I went it's to, like I a went lifestyle. To, you know, it's like a a twenty four hour oh, seven days a week thing. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I went to uh, I went to college, and, and truthfully, I mean, I was asked to leave after two semesters. They were like, "We don't think you're ready for college." And I was on a full music ride, and um, I'd go to class, and they was they'd be like, "Is it visitors' day today?" You know, because I'd never go to class. I'd be out following fish around or something. And, and truthfully, all I learned about music and the connection with music and audience, I learned from watching bands like that and how they interact with the audience. And, 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 and I learned things like don't say too much between the songs and how to blend one song into another song really cool and like how to do these, all these, these cool things I learned by just watching and soaking it up, man. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I had so many good times in the 90s. I moved to Colorado after I was asked to leave college. I moved to Colorado and right. with a couple friends from high school. What happened with college? You Just... know, uh, tr- truthfully, Ben, I mean, I did really well in private lessons and in orchestra. But music theory, it was like the, the, the classroom side of music it was just – it never took. Like, right. uh, and, and the, I found it hard. I found it, was, it really hard. It was really hard. I mean, yeah. it was more math than music. And, yeah, and, yeah. And I, I, would, I would be so busy studying musicology or, or ear training or working on orchestra parts that I, that I would start feeling like a robot and that I wasn't really making music with the instrument. And, right. And so – I said, hey, man, you know, like, I uh, think this school isn't going to work out. They felt exactly the same way. So right, gotcha. it, was, it was a mutually agreed upon split. Right. And then uh, off to Colorado. 
All right, and then the adventures began. The adventures began. <laughs> I saw there was some kind of, um, at one period of time, weren't you in some kind of conservatorium in Boca or something? I, so what, I was, what was the deal with that? So I, on a Sunday night in Dubliner, in Boca Raton, I was playing at Dubliner. Right. And it was a, a shit Sunday night. There was nobody in the place. Like one table of people was in the Dubliner, and me and my friend Jerry were playing. And so we were playing the gig, and I'm trying to give it my 100%. And this lady comes up to me at set break, and she's like, were you classically trained? And I was like, yeah. She's like, who's your teacher? I said, this guy Mitch Stern from New York. She's like, it was a shame when he died. And I'm like, fuck, does this lady know my violin teacher from New York that he died, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and she goes, well, I want you to come over to the table and meet some people. And I'm like, okay. So I walk over to the table. The one table in the place happens to be the string faculty from Lynn University, right. which is one of only three total scholarship conservatories in, in the whole world, Juilliard being one and Cleveland Institute being another. Yeah. Um, so I go over, I talk to them and they said, you know, what happened with school? And I told them the same thing I told you. I was like drugs, you know, right, yeah, drugs yeah. happened with school. And for they sure. said, uh, so this lady said, well, why don't you come play for me next week? Play a classical song. I was like, I haven't played in 15 years at that point. She goes, just yeah. come play for me. So I went and played for her. And uh, a week later I had a letter in my mailbox that said, we'd like to offer you a full ride to come back and finish your degree at Lynn University. So right. um, I ended up going back for, for a year and a half. Didn't finish the degree because the same thing came up. Yeah. But nonetheless, it was a wonderful experience. I got to add a lot of student debt to my life. And uh, <laughs> yeah, good times, man. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. The never-ending so, student debt. Uh, <laughs> so um, do you write music it's a great question i mean i i write music yes right i do um uh so oftentimes i'll go in the studio i'll be a hired gun i'll be asked to write a part right i'll be asked to write a solo yeah if you're asking if i write lyrics to songs they all sound so pitifully cheesy i, I gave up on it a long time ago gotcha. and i said i'll write the music not yeah, the, not yeah. the lyrics you know no fair enough and um the other one i question i have that's kind of related to it is do you practice at home and how much do you practice if you do and what kind of stuff do you practice so um of late i've been i've been practicing more uh it's not yeah. become a daily discipline like it probably needs to be um but you know i'm experimenting as i think i told you with with uh, electronic music production yeah i want to get i want to i want to help out with that that sounds interesting well to me. you gave me a number i'm gonna blast yeah. you on this one the guy like totally totally flaked on me i was like oh, no. eh, i told him the idea he probably thought i was just some schmuck from craigslist that was like i'm this violin player that wants to play oh, electronic dance music anyway the long and the short is 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 I I love marrying electronica to the violin. It's for really sure. suited for classical violin. So for sure, I have a good friend who actually makes a living doing that in Mallorca. Incredible, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I've done it with sax, but it's not quite as cool. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's actually cool. Did you did you see the poll on the uh, the sexiest? type of music i did you did that. it was yeah, drummers yeah. guitar players saxophone players number three and violins like eight. i know yeah <laughs> i don't know what eight. happened with that i don't know yeah I was, yeah the top the top three of the three instruments ben plays in the band so we determined <laughs> that, that ben equated to like 76 percent of the band sexiness <laughs> <laughs> that's about right so i'm just that kidding. makes sense it's actually sense. a pretty funny story there's this place um in the north of England, near Manchester, where um, they had a funky house night um, once every couple of weeks. And um, I was like, you know how for a bit it was like they'd hire like either a, a, like a conga player and either a sax or a violin. And like I was the sax guy. And I, I, I did that. I used to go up there and have all these sort of um, 
Late middle-aged ladies on tons of MDMA asking me to take my shirt off. It was the weirdest gig. <laughs> weirdest gig. <laughs> I was that in Florida? <laughs> no, it was, in, it was in England. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. In Manchester. Yeah. I did that for, um, did that for about six months. I used to oh like, and then God. drive home. And, you know, I was driving. And, and at the time, with my whole kind of drinking thing, um, I, I was – I still, I hadn't gotten to the point where I was just kind of you know whatever I I'll drive and drink I was I, I I was staying sober to drive and stuff like that so um uh and I had to drive back but it was quite far I think it was in Burnley which is quite far away from Manchester and so I had to drive him back at like sort of I'd get home at like six thirty in the morning definitely a young man's gig yeah. you know I'd go there I'd get there about eleven and come home about six thirty in the morning. <sighs> And just watch everyone like get torturous. progressively more. It sounds like, torturous to me yeah, now, dude. Was. I mean, like this is this is incredibly late for me. Like this yeah, is the yeah. latest I've been out since well that bar gig I played the other week. Yeah, that's yeah, about that. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I'm practicing Appleton to get back to your question. Just just doing a little bit of work, trying to learn this program. So that's where okay. the energy is lying now is to try and learn a new instrument, basically in the computer. So when you did the um, Suzuki method. That is what it's called, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but for some reason, I was suddenly like, hang on, is it the Yamaha method? No. no. <laughs> it is Suzuki. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. The, um, when you do the Suzuki method, is that, does that involve the same kind of structure as uh, having other lessons like you practice when you're at home? It, it, it does. But, you know, I, I tell you, what's interesting is that, is that when I, once I got to, like, New York teachers, they were like, the Suzuki method is awful, you know, because it, really? it doesn't teach you to read music off the bat. It teaches you to listen to music and to hear it, right? Okay. So I, I heard the criticism. You know, I was never a technical player. I was never the fastest player, but I was a guy who could connect to my heart into the instrument, oh, sure. right? And so, um, and so I would get, like, my one teacher, Zvi Zeitlin, from Russia, like, threw a dictionary at me for missing a G major scale. That's the classical training is it's very regimented, you know, and that's – I'm just not a very regimented guy. Um, so um, with, the, with, the classical, with the classical music, um, I just I, – I always felt a natural – kinship to that i guess sure i guess That's just because wonderful. it's you know it's it's what i was introduced to it's what i've been most interested in i guess is, yeah is the word for it. i mean i did a classical music degree i'm right there with you i love it too i think my my kind of um just person that the way that i play music suits itself better to something more collaborative and in the moment and jammy but um but i I have, you know, at times got to got. It was the saxophone was my main right. instrument with that, and you know I've had to do recitals and stuff like that. But I really don't enjoy that pressure. That's not that's not no. something I like. No, not 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 with the dressing up. And truthfully, getting back to the Suzuki thing because I kind of lost track of my thought is that my my teacher uh, when I was at Lynn, I took a couple classes with a guy named Elmar Oliveira. And he is the only American violinist to win the Tchaikovsky competition. Like, just oh, a wow. brilliant, brilliant guy. I mean, one of the best. And he came out to one of my gigs and was just hanging out with his wife. And I was like, Elmar, come on up and play a song. And he was like, no, no, no. And I was like, come, you're the best violinist in the world, man. Come on up and play a song, you know, for Christ's yeah. sake. Right? This guy, I'm telling you, man, like, could not have played a one four five blues if you had set it down at, at quarter note really? equals six. I'm telling you, man, like... The guy can read like Mahler symphonies, like it's the back of his hand. But if oh you put him God. into a improvisation, it's like 
they can't do it. And so that's so interesting. And he had the t- he had the training that they wanted me to have that I didn't have, and I've got the training that I now thank God yeah. that I got the ear so training. So I'm the one helped that can, you with the jamming, dude. It's it's the it's the the main reason why I can hear as well as I hear is because of yeah. the Suzuki method. You do and have it's a great because yeah. I started it. You have a perfect young. pitch, right? It's perfect pitch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mine's a little flaky. Some days, some days I have perfect pitch, which means I have imperfect pitch. <laughs> I don't have it, but it's a bit flaky. Sometimes I feel like I do, like because it's just coming naturally. And other days I'm like, "That's an A," and people are like, "No, that's a B flat." Well, the violin is the violin is 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 an incredibly unforgiving instrument, man. Let me tell yeah, you, like, the there is no. There's no getting around the intonation thing, and there's no getting around the stylistic thing with the bow. It's almost like two different instruments working simpatico with each other. Yeah. And um, I tell you, man, like when when I have a student that'll call me for lessons, I'll immediately the first first thing I say to him is, "You're you got to give ninety days to sounding like a screeching cat. Like at the very least, ninety days is probably generous. To sure. be truthful, it's more like six months to a year." But, you know, this instrument is is very complex. It's, it's a very complex instrument with a lot of nuances to it, you know. And yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful that I had that really solid education when I was young yeah. before I started screwing up. So that, yeah. and I, and it's somehow, like learning a language or something. It's so it, difficult that it's like trying to pick yeah. it up as an adult. That's why no one ends up learning it as an adult. It's I crazy. mean, occasionally people yeah. do, but well, it's very difficult. And, and, you know, like there's a lot of days where because of all the brain damage I've got, like right. I can't hardly remember my own name, but I can pull that thing out and I can play the Mozart Violin Concerto note by note perfectly yeah. just like it was yesterday that I learned the thing. It's crazy. And that that's like a 10-page thing, you know, and yeah. it's just like broop. You know? Yeah, I still got all sorts of weird pieces that I learned when I was young, just indelibly marked oh my in my God. head. Yeah. If people, you know, like I, 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 if people could see the inside of like a, a musician, musician's head, <laughs> yeah. you know, like floats yeah. around in there all day. It's just like, oh my god! <laughs> I tell you, in Killbillies, we do this, we do this thing where we kind of switch instruments around a little bit, and uh, you know, he'll play on mandolin, I'll play guitar, and then uh, James will switch over to bass and stuff, and um, and you know, so we we kind of just. We, we toy around with the idea of playing different instruments and stuff, and um, I had this—I don't know—like I, I for one of the songs, I, I thought you know it'd be cool to play a, a harmonica, so I did that. And then um, for some reason, there's one of our songs that that I thought, man, it'd be really cool. It's it's a cover song, but I thought, man, it'd be really cool because it's got a really you know signature violin, you know, yeah, fiddle, if you yeah. will. And I was like, it'd be really cool if like. For that song, like you know, James would play bass, and then Ben would play guitar, and I would actually bust out the you know fiddle. So I went out and I bought like some student fiddle for like you oh know a hundred bucks or whatever it was, eighty bucks or whatever. And I'm like, and I'm like, unforgiving. And I'm dude. like, oh, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna learn it. I'm gonna learn it. I, I I've been trying for probably <laughs> close to seven months now, <laughs> and I'm I still you. and I'm still I'm still in the screechy cat phase. Yeah, and I can't get past it, dude. I, I would say, like in, in in all seriousness, and I mean this with all sincerity. As much as I've studied this instrument, as, as many hours, as much blood and sweat and tears has gone into that piece of wood. I probably <clears throat> truthfully know about twenty percent of the instrument, maybe even less. You know, yeah. I mean, there's. There, there's guys that have come along, you know, before me that that like, you know, guys like Paganini or or guys like Bach that just musically are just in a different, yeah, just in a different freaking league, you know. Yeah, Paganini is wonderful. I mean, violence. Mozart churning out concerto after concerto, just like like divinely inspired people, and it's like the like one of the songs that I'll play tonight is is Bach, and like 
I listened to like Baroque period music or, 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 or stuff like that back in the 16, 1700s where it was like most, if not all of the music was written about religion or God, yeah. which, which is kind of weird to me. I'm not really like a card carrying Catholic yeah. anymore, but the music is just so incredibly beautiful, yeah. man. Yeah. And like, I think if most people, if most people could, could get past the, Going to orchestra concerts is the most boring thing on earth because the people are wearing tuxes and, and, you know, it's like every Karen in America is there drinking Chardonnay and, you know, in a tuxedo. If we could, if we could dispel, I've been trying to take the class out of classical music for for 30 (laughs) years. I think I'm doing a good job, but, but it's true because if you put classical music in front of people and they listen to it, they're like, where's this been all my life? You know, it's, it's so incredibly beautiful and soothing and complex and from a theoretic musical theory point of view those guys were just like light years ahead of what pop music is today yeah, you exactly. know it's I not mean, even like, in the same world not it's even in the same thing. world and like i i know that some of my most tra- transportative um musical moments have been listening to my some of my fellow students at, at university playing rachmaninoff on the piano it's just like takes you <sighs> just yeah, to some crazy places place, man a different place those guys yeah. were you know those guys were I think a lot of it is because they lived in a much simpler time. They lived in a much different time period uh, where they didn't have a lot of the modern pressures that we have. You know, like, I mean, I swear the the further we progress as a society or, or like with, with electronics, yeah. the more we regress yeah. in the other areas, you know, I and think... music included. Like, I, I'm, I, I see the direction that music is headed and I'm like... Man, if this is any indication of, of how the world is going, like we are in deep shit. Oh, like if we've gone from Bach 100%. to like to like little woozy, you know, yeah, like yeah. Well, I know that Bach was employed by by a rich patron and and and, and like contractually obliged to write a yes. certain amount of music. Yes. And so this was part of the reason why he has such a huge um catalog. But um and the other thing I think that which we forget is uh, is because you most because nothing was recorded until relatively recently, a lot of the dross people were playing, we just don't know about. I mean, there, I'm sure there was plenty of terrible music. Plenty. I'm, sure, yeah. I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm sure there was terrible music on every street corner. <laughs> I'm sure. But we just don't know about it, you know? I'm like, sure. Yeah. And only the good stuff has survived. Or, only the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So much good stuff there is, by the way. I mean, yeah, no doubt about it. Um, do you have any uh, future plans? What's in the works? I, I, I would love so so... Grace Notes Project is the nonprofit that I started, and right. you know, it, when right before COVID hit, we were having such a such a great run of successes. We had we had partnered with a few facilities in Fort, Fort Lauderdale, and we were bringing music to some special needs day halves, and it was just like it's the greatest joy in my life. And so when COVID hit, obviously music went, and especially bringing music into a healthcare facility where there's elderly yeah. people yeah. or special needs kids. Yeah. These are the first programs that got cut. So we went from doing really well to really not doing too well. Um, yeah. It's part of what made the last two years so difficult, truthfully, is because, like, I, I developed such a bond with these kids, you know. And um, yeah. I, they, uh, I, I credit, you know, spe- a special needs kid for saving my life. And so, you know, I, I'd really like to um, – to make this my full-time vocation and to get to introduce, you know, other musicians in recovery, the same opportunity to go out and to play for these kids and to experience that same freedom. Yeah. Freedom from addiction, freedom from selfishness and just like, you know, total connection with another human being. And, and 
so yeah, that's my future plans. Maybe make some electronica and go place for some people that, that can't afford it and, yeah. and try not to destroy my life in the balance. I have a wonderful relationship with a uh, with a just an amazing partner. Oh, that's um, great. And um, she has a beautiful 14-year-old daughter that I get to be a part of their life now. And yeah. um, I, I couldn't I be I think more that dynamic that, where, where there's someone that's more important than you. Again, that's a great thing to have as someone who, who, you know, has this kind of selfish, self-centeredness run riot. Like, you know, I used to, so if you have a, if you have a, a person in the, in the family unit, that's the most important person and it's not you. That's a good thing. You yeah. know? <laughs> well, trust me, I'm as surprised as anybody that, you know, that, that, you know, I've been, I've been put in a position where I, where I'm able to be, um, you know, a role model. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and this kid might not have another positive ro- role model to look up to some days, right. you know? And, and so that becomes like, it becomes bigger than you, you know? And, yeah. and trust me, you know, there's still, there's still days and there's still moments in the day when, when I think about doing some dumb shit and, yeah. you know, that's part of the human experience is, is yeah. sometimes wanting to go do dumb shit. Right. And right. so, you know. Because I have this life, you know, I have, I, I have, I have this incredible life with this incredible woman and this incredible kid uh, that count on me to be a man of integrity and count yeah. on me not to and to count integrity on me. Integrity is to, the to, word. It is, yeah. and to count on me to to do the things that I talk about doing at the treatment center to continue doing that stuff in the other twenty three hours a day when I'm not working in the treatment center, right? And it's exactly what we talked about with the. With the with the practice what you preach, and so yeah. you know um, she's got she's a an animal rights activist. She has a wonderful uh, animal sanctuary um, in in oh, so, cool. so I'm around seventy animals. That's uh, amazing. Six pigs, fifty ducks, oh, cool. chickens, peacocks. Wow. I adopted a special needs dog about three months ago. So I've got all these things in my life other than music that that bring me a lot of joy too. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, some and music things that need life. taking care of, you know, that's great the responsibility. It's a great responsibility. It's, yeah. I, I just, I, I think it's, just, it's, it's, it's one of the best, the biggest honors of my life is to, is to get to be able to show up in that context and, right to, on, and to sort of, uh, and to sort of, uh, and, and part about, you know, continuing forward in that is, is making amends, you know, is yeah. to continue to make amends yeah. by the way that I'm living today for the way that I used to live, you know, yeah. it's as simple as that, you know. That's wonderful to hear. It's so glad everything's going so well for you right now. Thank you, now. my brother. And um, why don't we uh, have you play a couple of songs for us? I would love to. Thanks, Ben. Great.
Everyone's favorite songs. Yeah, mine too, man. I love it. Damn, got a little out of tune in the middle, but it's all good. What'd you think, Ben? Keepers? Sounded beautiful. Sound beautiful to me. Yeah, yeah. Good. Great, mate. I noticed um, at some angles, you could see the See a bit of fluttering, you know? Mm -hmm. It's weird. Sometimes on microphones or whatever, there's like a little light reflection. Sometimes oh, take I got gotcha. you. So on, on the on the violin, reflecting the green screen. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. 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 So that's one of the reasons why I think I need to do a little bit more to this and darken it a little bit. I think it's more some of the lightest green that's under the top. And then it's like, it's like, like the room is spinning. Oh, it's spinning. <laughs> like, holy crap. It's bad. <laughs> Ben's getting all camera on us. Where does this thing go? Somewhere yeah. like that. Not there. Some, somewhere. Gosh, you gotta move this way like that. Somebody. Stick to music, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Audio visuals are not just insulting me. Where am I going? All right, uh, let me put that up there so we can fine tune it. Wait, don't move it. It's perfect. It was perfect. Is it perfect? It was perfect. This episode is brought to you by Handlebars Bar and Grill. It's a biker bar in Tequesta, and it used to be called Judy's. I've been rebranded as Handlebars. My father-in-law, Pete Pinello, is doing a great job up there, revitalizing a spot in Jupiter that is, um, it's a landmark, basically. It's been there for years and years and years, and um, we have live music there. We do a bike night um, every second Thursday, and we have music on Saturdays from 6 to 9, and there is... Great food, Burnsy does a killer job on the food, and there's a whole load of different types of beer on tap, and the beer's cold, the AC's cold, you can roll in off your bike and uh, take a little bit of a break, and uh, yeah, there's tons of room to park your bikes, and if you're into that kind of thing, you know, a bit of a, a petrol head, then there's um, always like four or five real cool bikes pulled up and there's uh, people come in for the bike nights and rat rods and stuff like that. So definitely an interesting place to check out and it's full of, um, you know, Jupiter Sequester characters and it's a real local spot. So if you're interested in seeing, you know, one of the real sides of, uh, of Jupiter Sequester area, then uh, you should pop in, you should come and check it out. Yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, Carl, um, could you tell us a little bit about what those songs you just played us were about? Oh, so the first one was, uh, was Ave Maria. It's a Bach uh, and Gounod collaboration from, uh, I believe, the 1600s, 1700s. Right. And so I Ave recognize Maria, that. I know the, I can play the pia that piano part. Yeah. I didn't realize that there was a piano and violin version of that. There is. It's, yeah. it's one of my favorite songs from when I was a kid to play. Um, yeah. I decided to do, to do more classical stuff tonight and kind of take it back to my roots a little That's bit. I, I, I get to it. do enough of the other stuff. So. Cool. Uh, so that was that was a song that I just loved when I was a kid. It reminds me of being a kid. Um, and yeah, good good stuff. And and the second one was of course Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. And yeah, my and, favorite um, songs. I'd that's one that that, that one. it almost yeah. invariably when I play it for the clients, it, it it brings out a lot of tears and a lot of emotion because yeah. it's such a heartfelt message. You know, and, yeah, uh, I think we can all relate to it these days. That piece, the Bark one, it's like it's it's. Preludium One from that book of the piano book, isn't it? It's like yeah. the first one in that awesome book. There's some fugues in there that oh, I God. that I that I got like <laughs> I got like a page. The first page, I'm like, oh, I think I got this. By like page three, you just oh, it's crazy. It's ding, just ding, 
<laughs> stacked on top of each. I mean, yeah. it's just incredibly complex. But that's some of the the sweeter, the sweeter, softer classical music that I love yeah. know, so much. And uh, there's something very with Bach. It's the mathematicalness of it. It has this kind of entrancing quality. Oh, you know, with the fugues and the interlacing melodies and everything. It's so. So, there's so yeah. much there's so much emotion that goes into box writing you know I, yeah. I just I, I'm constantly amazed when I listen to him and or Vivaldi or, or guys from that particular and at the time he was really kind of invent inventing music theory oh yeah like he was, everything yeah. we learn is basically what him. Bach kind of creates yeah absolutely and, and so that's why these that that book especially with that song in is so important because it's kind of like it's kind of like a thesis on this is how you do music. The yep. evolution Absolutely. of music theory. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. yeah. It is. An, an, and that song in itself and the way it goes, you know, it goes through a chord progression and then, and then it, d- it goes down to the relative minor and then it kind of modulates to the fifth and yep. it just does it. And yep. it's like this is how you – it's almost like him going, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. And yeah. it's just like – Signed, sealed, and delivered. You know, there you yeah. go. And there's never probably been, I mean, like, I, I, I look through history and having studied a little bit of music history and knowing what I know about composers, I don't know that there's a guy alive today that would even come close to Bach's level of genius musically. You know, I mean, uh-huh. considering the time that he lived in, considering there wasn't anything before him, considering the pioneering nature of, of that whole Baroque movement, yeah. we wouldn't have music today if it wasn't for that, you yeah. know, and we wouldn't have music in, in the form we do today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it makes me really grateful for the fact that my mum pushed me to do music oh, yeah. when I was younger and how much music she exposed me to when I was yeah. younger because, you know, that's why I know all this stuff and why I ultimately uh, end up doing it. So thanks, mum. <laughs> I would like to thank my mom as well, <laughs> yeah. personally, for uh, for all the lessons and hard work and sweat and tears yeah, she yeah. put into my violin. You know, I yeah, I can't even imagine the sacrifice that they made. You know, like I, I think about that a lot, Ben. You know, now that I'm older and they're they're much older and they're getting into their final years, and you know, uh, I strive to be that kind of guy now. You know, that, right. the, the the kind of guy that would drive my kid to New York City every sure. every Saturday and Sunday and sit for three or four hours doing a New York Times crossword puzzle while I was inside yeah. soaking in these incredible musical lessons, you know, and that's yeah. what they gave to me was this, was this incredible gift. And, like, I, I, I don't know that I'll ever be able to repay that kindness. Yeah, I hear that, man. Um, all right, so we – I think we're going to take a look at your violin. Can you yeah, tell yeah, us yeah. a little bit about your interesting violin? Well, so this is a five-string violin. Uh, it's, it is a custom build. Uh, it is from G. Edward Luthier uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's called the Dahlia Five String. And right. uh, so it's a viola and a violin um, in one. Yeah. And uh, it's got its own proprietary electric uh, ele- electronics in it. So it's a, it's a semi-acoustic, semi-electric. And um, it's got an incredibly warm tone to it. Uh, it's got a great resonance. I tried a bunch of different violins. It's taken me 20 years to get the setup that I have now, and this has just been the last final puzzle piece with this incredible sounding instrument. Can you, That's um, great. Can you for those that don't know, could you give a, a quick uh, what the difference is between a viola and a violin? So a viola would just be a fifth lower than a violin. A, a violin would be strung G-D-A-E, and a viola would just have a C G-D-A. Uh, so this has a low C and a high E as well. Okay. So you're able to really give some of that lower texture when it's needed, which is great to have in, in yeah, a studio sure. or in a live yeah, performance it's setting. It's great. Yeah, it's a beautiful instrument, man. Yeah, it, sounded, and you, it sounded fantastic. Yeah, yeah. totally. You know, I, I, I've played with you a lot, and um, 
the way that you play and when you said that you could really connect your violin to you know you, you have so much personality when you play that it's 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 quite a um it's quite a weird experience playing with you because because it is you coming out of it you know you're very connected to your instrument and in a way i don't think i've ever really met anyone just as you know you You can tell what kind of a day i'm having by the way that i play i mean it's really that it's that it it, it is an appendage at this point you know it's 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 become such a part of me that like you know you're 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 right i just it's just so natural it's like i can speak a sentence through the instrument which is what i always wanted music to be i never wanted it to be and these kids, and you know, I, when I was going to like Juilliard pre-college for lessons, and these kids would be slamming down these like Paganini caprices and doing like cartwheels around me, and like, right. you know, I was like the slow kid who who was you know more interested in going to see fish, but right. but you know, like, and and these days those guys all have orchestra jobs or maybe they're teaching, and and that's great. And that's never what I wanted. You know, I always wanted to connect to the heart. You know, yeah. and, and very few classical musicians in in the setting that I grew up in really were able to do that. I had a lot of technical masters that were miles in front of me, but but right. not a lot could connect to the heart, you know? Well, I think that, you know, one of the things I, I think about my experience at going to university for me, music is a lot, a lot, because um, there were people there who were vastly more talented than me, worked way harder than me, and and in that context, you know, I was, uh, it was, it felt, it could feel quite belittling, belittling at times, but now I have that in the bank and all of the knowledge that, that I was just through, absorbed through osmosis just from being there, yeah. being around these incredible players, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll never, uh, regret it. And, and it, I had all sorts of complex feelings about that in the past, feelings of imposter syndrome and stuff like that, you know, but, um. But at this point, I you know I see I I can see it for what it gave me you know absolutely and like how grateful I, I am. I for totally that. I totally agree with that. You know I had I've had imposter syndrome more than a few times you know in my yeah. life, so I can definitely relate to that. But I've found you know I've found my niche. Yeah, and it's my niche. It's not your niche. It's not his niche. It's not you know yeah. other violin player in Palm Beach County's niche. It's my niche. You know, and and yeah. I'm happy getting to do what I do with music. You know, and. Yeah. and and I wouldn't be happy doing exactly what you do or what you do, Hector, or what any of my other friends do. Like, I'm happy yeah. just doing what I want to do. That, that's point, exactly you know? right. And it, it's, not about, it's not about looking around you and worrying what everyone else is doing. It's, it's about yeah. being happy with what you're doing. Absolutely, yeah. man. And I'm working on that daily. You know, I mean, yeah. hopefully the nonprofit will take off. I mean, that's, 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 my, that's my dream is to get to do that. And I think, you know, with some hard work in the next two years, once COVID really goes away, that's going to become – coming to fruition you know? right well i mean getting to that point where you're you're doing what you love and you're being able to share that with other people and then helping them through their Absolutely. recovery and stuff i mean Absolutely. that that's just that's well, just music is a powerful amazing. tool in the recovery oh, process and you can Absolutely. get you can you can you can get to people that are otherwise treatment resistant through music so it's yeah like i mean the, I, the change and the, the catalyst for change that music can be is just remarkable oh, i'll tell yeah, you i mean you know they they say that uh you know they say that that music heals and stuff and and i'm an artist as well so like i you know i get that i mean art heals music heals you know all that creative stuff is just it's just good for the soul well i was talking to my mom because my mom is a therapist um 
and she's worked with kids and adults and all sorts of people. And she's her she ended up specialising in play therapy, but she knows a lot about the whole thing. And you know, sit, since I did those couple of things with you, I've been talking to her and really thinking about educating myself further in the music therapy direction. It's definitely something that's very interesting to me. I tell you, man, like I I leave I I leave bar gigs most of the time feeling less than whole. I just right. got to be honest, you know, like I I leave feeling like. I don't want to use the word like I'm prostituting myself because it's not that bad. But like I'm not I'm not being true to what what I know my heart belongs doing with music, you know. And so as a result, you know, like I I sort of feel a little bit like a vacuum when I leave. And also you are very often like a hired gun too. Always a hired gun. Yeah. Always a hired gun. And I'm also the first that can get cut, you know, and I know that. But but also I can pick up gigs wherever I want. So and with ADHD it's really great to play with ten different bands in the area. (laughs) You know, you never get tired of just playing with one. But but that being said, um it's just when you know when you know the power of what you hold in your hands and you know the power of it to change people right? yeah. and you know that yeah. the impact it has on these kids and you know the impact it has on these clients who are going through the worst month of their life and kicking dope and feeling like less than a piece of shit on the ground and you bring them music and you see a kid smile maybe for the first time in a couple months or a couple years you yeah. know and and maybe you played him a song that reminded him of his childhood. And his childhood's the only time the kid's ever felt safe in his whole life, right? Right. And so I've gotten to see what music can do in those contexts. And so it makes the other stuff, it's just like when you've really hit the jackpot and you see like how good it can get, yeah. then sort of regressing back to the bar gigs, I'm like, oh, man. No, I get it. I think, you know? I think I, the thing yeah. is because, because of the way that our band is and that we kind of write songs and we're kind of invested in it and it's not it's – not, Okay, we do play covers, but at the same time, there's this side of it which is kind of like oh, you're an original, an original band. Thing. No, yeah, that, I don't think that you're a gives, cover band at all. Yeah, that gives me enough kind of just to want to do it. But um, you know, as something, it's definitely as I get older and stuff. You know, the the the, the therapy side of it. Going to be happening. Yeah. You're going to be seeing more yeah, of me. Absolutely. <laughs> I, listen, you have a, you, you both actually have an open invite any time to come play for the clients. I mean, like. Mm. I just I, I know that yeah I've 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 had such a struggle myself that I know what it feels like to be at the bottom you know and I know yeah. what it was at the bottom like I didn't need to get kicked when I was down I didn't need anybody else to tell me I was a piece of shit because I already knew I was a piece of shit yeah. right what I needed what I needed was somebody to hug me and tell me he's going to be okay and maybe sing me a song right yeah. there's a great YouTube video um, uh, by Johan Hari whose um, grandfather did the Rat Park experiment you know and. Uh, he comes to the conclusion at the end of the video and he said, you know, all along we've been uh, we've been drumming up, you know, war songs to addicts and all along we should have been singing them love songs, mm. you know, and it just struck me like uh, yeah. it's exactly right. You yeah. Know? yeah. Like, like the more love and connection we can bring to this very fractured world that we live in, the better, you know. Yeah, right on, man. Well, I think we can leave it on that very profound note. And um, uh, why don't we uh, just have a little bit of a talk about the gigs we've got coming up this weekend. So are, you, are you playing this weekend anyway? Ben, I am. Uh, I am, but it's a fight club secret sauce type <laughs> of event. I do a lot of work. That's cool. uh, by the way, so if you want to get, get me on social media, I can be a little bit more descriptive of what I do in the, you know, sort of in the plant medicine and healing community work on the weekends. But... 
I've also seen a great amount of transformation from plant medicine. It's another discussion entirely, but I get to play at the ceremonies and assist people in their own healing process, which is just remarkable, incredible. So that's what I'll be doing this week. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah, what's Killbillies up to? We got Connolly's. Yeah, man. We got two of my favorite places this weekend. Connolly's yeah. on Friday night, nine to one. Yeah. Ooh. And then um Patty Max on yeah. Saturday. Uh was that uh nine to twelve? Nine, nine to twelve, yeah. yeah. And then and then you're playing uh I'm Sunday? playing from eleven to three at a place called Cork in Hope Sound. If you've never been there, it's real chill. It's a real kind of like <clears throat> I mean, you know, I play brunch there, and it's just a great place. To, it's it's real classy and nice, and everyone's friendly, and um, I always have a really good time up there. And um, and then I have a, <laughs> I have this gig <laughs> where I'm I'm playing country, uh, the background of a barbecue in the in the evening. But the le- maybe the less said about that, the better. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, so uh, all right, listen. Uh, uh. <laughs> thanks, thanks so much for coming on, man. Brother, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ben. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. See you later.